What comes to mind when you think of the church? Is it community, worship, or hearing God's word? The church is all of these things. Jesus teaches that his followers will overflow with his joy. The church is God's community. It's where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth, no matter what happens in the world around us. The empty tomb gives us a reason to celebrate. Hopelessness is a lie. Pain is temporary. Darkness is defeated. And we're called to invite everyone to experience the eternal party God is throwing. You are invited to First Church. Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us today, whether you are online or on-site. It's an exciting day as we wrap up our You're Invited series, and it is our first ever Zoo Day, which I am super excited about. Hopefully, you've already seen, if you're here on-site, some of the festivities going on here on our campus. But before we talk about that, I want to give a quick shout-out to our online family. I just looked, and we've got Adam, who is driving back from Florida right now, and Joe, who's in Arkansas, and Barbara in California, and a bunch of others as well. So if you are here on site, would you get loud, put your hands together, welcome in our online family. Let them know we're glad that they're joining us today for worship. And like I said, today is Zoo Day, and so we've got rides and games and food and all sorts of stuff. Hopefully you will stay after services today and enjoy all that. And we also have 40 to 50 different types of animals on site, and so you can see some of them. And I've been told I've got one... uh, that's going to come out and join me here in just a second. So uh, here it comes. I told them not to bring out a snake, and they did it anyway. So they're going to stand over there, and I'm going to stand over here because I do not like that at all. And so uh, somebody's getting fired after today, okay? Just want to let you know. So uh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. Seriously, seriously, no, no. I don't do snakes, no. We had, a, we had a lizard that was a dinosaur first service, but I'll tolerate that. Anyway, um, but uh, does the snake have a name or anything like that? You're rattled. I am really <laughs> rattled right now. I'm just glad he doesn't have a rattle. But anyway, um, uh, does he have a name? or? Uh, this is Larry. Larry's a lavender albino reticulated python. He's about 10 foot long, about 85 pounds. He's excited because we came in in the air conditioning. He's like, oh, cool. I get energy now again all of a sudden. We are with Safari Sanctuary in Broken Arrow. Thank you all for having us. We also have our sister rescue out there that is Snakes Alive from Shawnee, Oklahoma. (laughs) Really? Did you want to say something, Larry? Yeah. Okay, let's give it up for the snake. Okay, here we go. All right. Appreciate you guys being here. If you enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I'm good. Thank you. This is as close as I get right here. Okay. Um, Out of all the animals that Satan chose to dwell in, he chose a snake. Okay? So uh, that tells you something right there. But if you like that sort of thing, go pet it. I'm not going to. All right. So uh, we've got a bunch of animals that are here on site. Make sure you stop and see some of them. And... uh, Yeah, okay, I don't know where to go from that. But uh, if you've been here for your Invited series, you know that we have been having different staff competitions. Uh, They go along with our theme for that week. And so we are back and forth. We're like, hey, this is Zoo Day. What are we going to do? And so the best that our creative team could come up with was why don't we try to gather up, catch some chickens? Uh, 
but we couldn't find anybody who had any chickens, so we settled for ducks. Take a look at this video real fast. J&J coming to you with our final staff challenge of the You're Invited series. Now today, the married women you're about to see, well, for them, it's all about the chase. And today, the winner will be whoever can get two ducks in the pool the fastest. Let's row. Let's row. Uh-huh. Emily up first, fresh ducks for her. There's a lot of traction on those webbed feet. Fun fact, Emily grew up on a cattle farm. Clearly, they didn't have ducks. with her second duck in the pool, 45 seconds. Chelsea's up next, let's see how she can do. Ooh, Chelsea, Chelsea, quick on the first grab, one duck already in the pool. Would you say these are juvenile ducks? Not really a duck person. seconds flat Chelsea with two ducks in boy you can really tell she's the mom of a toddler Katie's up next with a really tough time to beat there's only genuine foul play on the field today With the last duck in, 22 seconds. Jay, you know what that means. It's Chelsea for the win. Katie not having the strongest time, but do you see the behavior on those ducks? I think they're just worn out. Yeah, I really don't know what to say after that. But yeah, you can applaud for that if you want to. That's great. Uh, I do have to clarify, though, no ducks were heard in the filming of that video, okay? They're all safe and they're good. Don't worry about that. All those ladies were our big animal lovers, so you don't have to worry about that. They just had some fun. But why do we choose Zoo Day as a theme? I mean, my family loves going to the zoo. We were just there this past Labor Day, and apparently a lot of families like going to the zoo because on Labor Day, it was packed. And so why do we choose it? Because it's just a fun thing to do? Well, it is fun. But we chose this theme because it fits really well with what I want to talk to you guys about today. Today we're going to look about, we're going to study and look at a guy in the Old Testament named Noah. And you've probably heard of him before, whether you grew up in church or not. You've heard the name Noah. You've heard about Noah and the ark, Noah and the flood. And we're going to look at Noah's story today because I think it has something very, very powerful to teach us. Because it's not just a children's story. That's how we see it sometimes, but it's more than that. Noah was a man who trusted God in a generation who was going the opposite direction of God. And because he trusted God, God used him to change the course of human history. 
And like I said, a lot of times when we hear the name Noah, we think of a children's story because we like decorate our nurseries in Noah and the Ark, and we maybe have read children's books or seen children's movies about the story of Noah, or maybe you don't think of a children's story, maybe you just think of like a fable or a myth or a fairy tale as if that could never really happen. But here's the thing, when the Bible talks about the story of Noah, it doesn't present it as a children's story or a fairy tale. It presents it as historical fact, as an actual historical event that took place in history. In fact, it's referenced not just in the original time that's talked about in Scripture, but 11 different times in Scripture. The Scripture refers back to the story of Noah seven times in the New Testament, and Jesus even talks about Noah. And Jesus refers to Noah as an actual person who lived in a specific period of time. And Jesus talks about the flood as an actual historical event that took place. And maybe that's why there's more and more scientific research, scientific evidence coming out showing us that there really was a worldwide global flood at one point. This was an event that actually happened in history. But even more impressive to me that this event actually happened, because I believe it did, was the fact that different places of Scripture keep going back to it. As if this isn't just a children's story. This is something that God wants his people to remember there's something in this story that we're to learn in every generation. This is a big deal. If the frequency of this story in Scripture, I mean, 11 different times that it's mentioned, it lets us know it's a big deal. So that's why we're going to study it today, because I want to see what God wants to teach us through the story of Noah and the ark. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. That's where the story of Noah begins, and it really runs through chapter 8. And what we find out in Genesis chapter 6 is that Noah is nine generations removed from Adam and Eve. So basically, the earth at this point during the days of Noah still had that new earth smell, you know? I mean, everything is still kind of new, right? The new car smell, still kind of new. Nine generations. Now, Generations were longer back then than what they are now. God hadn't cut off the age to where it is now. And so people would live several hundred years back in this day and age. But still, only nine generations between Adam and Eve and Noah. The earth is still fairly new. And what we find out is that as God allowed for the human race to live longer so that they could populate the earth, not only did they populate the earth, but they started to walk away from God. They started to forget about God. And they didn't just forget about God as they grew in numbers, they actually started to live in direct defiance of him and his purposes. Genesis 6 verse 5 words it like this, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become during the days of Noah, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart, man's heart, was only evil all the time. In other words, things were extremely dark. It's not just that people were evil, they were really evil. All they ever thought about doing was evil. They were evil all the time. So much so that Genesis gives us this tragic line. It says, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart, God's heart, was filled with pain. It's a tragic verse. In my opinion, one of the most tragic verses in all the Bible. And what does this verse indicate? It's not a change in God's purpose, but it's a change in God's emotion. God's heart is broken as he looks at his children and see how they have rebelled against him, how they are destroying, destroying themselves. Because, you see, 
what sin does is it starts a war. A war between us and God, us and one another, us within ourselves, and us and God's creation. See, it was just nine generations ago that Adam and Eve walked with God, and that's what we were created to do. And as long as we walked with God, then we were able to live out our perfect purpose and live with meaning and joy, the joy that God intended us to have, and peace and comfort and all that stuff. God created us to live in a paradise and walk with him. But Adam and Eve were given a choice because God knew that a relationship that we don't get to choose isn't a real relationship. We have to have a choice in order for that relationship to be real. God wanted us to choose him, and Adam and Eve chose to walk in the opposite direction of him. And that led to a downward spiral, downward spiral of just rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. See, what happened was our sin triggered a multifaceted war against God, against each other, against ourselves, and against God's creation. And if you don't believe that's true, you probably haven't been looking around because we are at war right now with God. I mean, it's our nature to want to go against God. That's how we live oftentimes, isn't it? And we rebel against him even though we know it's right. We still rebel against him because we want to live life our own way. We're at war with each other. If you don't believe me, just turn on the news and there's always people fighting and there's always people not getting along and at each other's throats. And you don't even have to turn on the news. I mean, just drive down the street and if you wait too long at a green light, somebody's going to honk and yell at you, you know? We don't live at peace with one another like we're supposed to. There's a war going on against ourselves. I mean, you ever feel like there's a battle going on inside of you? That's what's happening right now. And there's definitely a war going on against, between us and God's creation. If you don't believe we live at war with God's creation, then go try to pet a lion sometime. I mean, it's probably not going to work out real well for you. Don't do that. I was just kidding. But that's why we have tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes and all that kind of stuff. Because we're at war right now with God's creation. And here's the thing. Because of our rebellion, because we started this war, God could have wiped us out. God could have sent death upon the entire human race because God warned us, if you sin, if you rebel against me, there are consequences to your sin, and the consequences are death. He could have just wiped us out. But out of his love for us, he chose not to. Because he loves us, he chose to hold back his wrath and give us a second chance. And what he basically said was, the war is going to go on. The war is going to continue to be fought for a while. But you get a choice while this war is going on whose side you're going to be in. There's two sides. You get to choose either my side or the other side. You get to choose either walk with me or walk away from me. And if you walk with me, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to give you the best life possible. And in the end, we're going to leave all the present destruction that you've caused and you're going to live in eternal paradise with me if you choose to walk with me. But again, the choice is ours whether or not we want to walk with him. And I don't know about you, but I think there is way too much death and darkness and destruction in our world today. And I don't want to add to that anymore. Instead, I want to bring life to this world. I want to bring hope to this world. I want to bring peace to this world. I want to bring joy to this world. I want to bring the joy of heaven to the midst of the sadness that exists in this world. And I know that I can do that by walking with God. Because when we walk with God, we fight against the war that sin has launched. When we walk with God, we push against the darkness that exists in our world. When we walk with God and do life his way, we reflect his character and his glory. 
and the darkness flees. And that's what Noah did. That's what Noah did in his generation. That's why after the Bible talks about how evil and wicked the world was, it says this in Genesis 6, but Noah. Those are two really powerful words there. Words there. The entire earth is evil and wicked, going the opposite direction of God, rebelling against him. But Noah was different. But Noah was the exception. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah. And I wonder if you were to replace the word Noah, and if this was a reference to our generation, would God be able to put your name there? See, this is the reputation that Noah had. It says, Noah was a good man, a man of integrity in his community. Noah walked with God. In the midst of a world that didn't, Noah walked with God. And I love that phrase, Noah walked with God, because in the end, that's all that really matters. You see, when you breathe your last breath and I breathe mine, it's not going to matter what house we lived in. It's not going to matter what car we drove. It's not going to matter what job we had, how much money we had in our bank account. It's not going to matter how many social media friends or likes we have. It's not going to matter what social circles we ran in or the vacation home we got. It's not going to matter if your kid's sports team wins the championship or not. The only thing that's going to matter when we breathe our last is if we walked with God. And I wonder... Does that statement describe your life today? Is that how your kids would describe your life? Is that how your spouse would describe your life? Your friends, your coworkers, other family members? Because in the end, that's all that counts. Noah walked with God because he knew that relationship was the most important thing in life. And he was willing to be ridiculed. He was willing to be criticized. He was willing to be made fun of in order to have that relationship with God, in order to walk with him. I saw this video the other day of a guy who ran a marathon. At the end of the marathon, he wanted to propose to his fiance, but he had some cramping, leg cramping at the end as he tried to propose and take a look at what happened. Tell his story, and he thinks he wants to say something. Ah. <laughs> Best I love that guy that finishes after him that runs through as this whole proposal is going on. Like, I'm celebrating that I finished the race. You know, it was awesome. But why did that guy continue to propose even when he was in some pain, even when his legs were cramping? Why did he continue to do it? Because that relationship, the relationship he had with his fiance, soon to be his wife, was worth more than anything else he was going through. It was worth it all to him. And here's the thing. That's how Noah was. Noah's relationship with God was so important, so vital to his life that he was willing to be ridiculed, made fun of, mocked. He was willing to make sacrifices for God because God was worth everything to him. So he was willing to play through the bumps. 
Noah was willing to take some hits because he was not going to let anything stop him from walking with God. And so that's why we get these words, but Noah. And so let's say that this statement, this next statement here is talking about our culture. And some people would say that probably it is talking about our culture or it could be a reference to our culture. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, but, put your name in there, but Tom, but Sarah, but John, but Andrea, but Alicia, but Nan, but Tim, but Chad walked with God. Chad was different. Could that be said about me? Could that be said about you? What if we put First Church in that blank? The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, but First Church was different. But First Church was the exception. But First Church stood out, stood apart. And because First Church was the exception, First Church was able to shine Jesus' light in a way that penetrated the darkness because First Church was the exception. It made a difference in the lives of people in this community and beyond because First Church was the exception. We were able to love like Jesus in a way that changed the world around us because First Church was the exception. God used First Church to carry out his eternal plan. See, that's why we're here. And if you're new to our church, we just want to let you know our mission statement, love Jesus, love like Jesus, it's not just something we put on t-shirts or on walls. It's who we are. We want to love like Jesus. We want to live like him. And we believe when we live like him, when we demonstrate his character in the midst of this dark world, we push against the darkness and the darkness flees. So I believe we're given part one reason why we're given this example of Noah in the Old Testament is because God is challenging us to be the exception. In the midst of a world that's going in the opposite direction of God, be the exception. And when you're the exception, God's gonna ask you to do some crazy stuff. Like when it comes to Noah, he asked him to build an ark. Now, what's interesting is the word ark that's used in the Hebrew is a word that just means like giant box or trunk or chest. So just imagine a giant floating chest on the water, okay? That's what God asked Noah to build. And here's the thing. Most biblical scholars believe it had never rained at this point in history. See, the way that the earth was watered prior to the flood was through mist coming up through caverns in the ground. So the people had never experienced rain, definitely not a flood. And can you imagine how this conversation between God and Noah went? Like God says, hey, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And Noah's like, okay, good, cool, yeah. What's an ark? Well, it's this big giant boat. And Noah's like, okay, cool, yeah, what's a boat? Well, it's something that floats on water. He's like, floats on water, okay, that's great, but how's that gonna happen? Well, I'm gonna send down rain. And Noah's like, great, what's rain? I mean, he's never heard of this before, you know? But yet Noah continued to do everything God asked. In fact, we get this line in scripture, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Even when it didn't make sense, even when it sounded crazy, Noah trusted God. And here's the thing. Building this ark was not a simple task. It took Noah 120 years. Remember, people lived longer back then. 
It took Noah 120 years to build this ark. And he had to. It was a big ark. It was a big boat. I mean, it had to hold every single living creature that walked on the earth. Because God was going to preserve everything that was living through Noah and all these animals. So just imagine how big this thing had to be. In fact, we're told that it was 450 feet long. It was 75 feet tall. It was 45 feet wide. I mean, just imagine a boat the size of a football field and a half. And imagine a boat that's five stories tall. I mean, that's how big this thing was. And it was, had multiple decks, had three decks, so you need to triple the square footage three times. I mean, you need to triple the square footage in order to realize how big this boat really was. It was a huge vessel, and it took Noah 120 years to build. A lot of hammering nails and sawing wood, waiting for what God had in store next. But even more fascinating to me than Noah building the ark is that Noah got on the ark. Because what you need to remember is it's just a big box, a big chest or trunk. There was no rudder or propulsion system or sail or anything like that. No way to navigate it. No way to steer it. The plan was for it just to float. So when you got on the ark, you were truly in God's hands. And you had to trust him. It was a risk. But no one knew it was worth it because no one knew that taking a risk for God is actually the safest thing you could ever do. Because it may seem like a risk at first on the surface. But eventually you realize that God has you in his hands. That's why in the book of Proverbs... The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Don't trust in your own understanding of things. Trust in God because he knows what is best. And he is above us and over all. We just have to learn to trust him. I mentioned earlier that my kids like to go to the Tulsa Zoo. We have season passes. We go all the time. And we were there on Labor Day and they have this big like giant dome jungle gym I'm not sure if you've seen it there and uh, my kids like to climb on it mostly Alex but this past time Addie wanted to try it now Alex is older and so Addie's smaller she's five years old and she climbed to the top of it it's got these holes and bars you know you climb to get to the very top and it's bigger than me it's taller than me and so she got to the very top and sat on the top and then she got scared. She didn't want to come back down because she was afraid she'd fall through one of the holes, you know, coming back down. And so I went underneath this thing. Again, it's taller than me. I went underneath this thing, got underneath where she was, and I said, just let go and drop. I'll catch it. I'll bring it to the ground. And she wouldn't do it. She was scared. She's like, no, 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 I'm going to fall. I was like, no, no, I'm here. I'll catch you. I'm not going to let you hit the ground. You'll be safe. You're fine. Trust me. And we, I stood there. She sat there forever before she would finally let go and fall into my hands. But eventually she did, and I put her on the ground. She said, well, that was easy. And I was like, yeah, if you would have done it like 15 minutes ago, it would have been great. But it took her forever. Why? Because it's hard for her to let go. And so often in life, it's hard for us to let go of what's always made us comfortable, feel comfortable. It's hard to let go of what the world is chasing after. It's hard to let go of the things that we thought would make us happy. It's hard to let go. And God is saying, just trust me. When you let go, 
as, as I tell you to, I'll catch you. And you'll be more safe than you've ever been. And here's the thing. God didn't just ask Noah to build an ark. He also asked Noah to be his spokesperson to a generation that didn't want to listen. In fact, Peter tells us this in the New Testament. It says, God saved Noah who preached about being right with God. Now, that word preach, don't think about standing on a stage like I am right now. It just means proclaim, to be a herald. I mean, basically, Noah was just telling the people of his day, you need to turn to God. You need to change. Destruction is coming. God's wrath is coming. He was warning the people. That's why I love how the New Living Version uh, translation translates it. It says, Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. Noah warned the world that judgment was coming. And he kept preaching on behalf of God, telling people God's truth. And yet his culture didn't want to listen to him. See, when we paint our nurseries with Noah and the ark and the animals, we often don't include all the people who died. We don't like that part of the story, really. And in fact, I've even heard some people say, why would God flood the earth like that and destroy people like that? I mean, isn't, doesn't that make God out to be really, really mean? Actually, I think the story of Noah and the flood is a picture of God's grace. Because here's the thing. God had every right to wipe out the human race immediately when we chose to sin. But he chose to hold back his wrath out of love for us, and he gave the people 120 years to change. 120 years that they didn't deserve to repent. 120 years to listen to him. And here's the thing, the people knew better. There were only nine generations removed from Adam and Eve. They knew about God. They just didn't care. It sounds a lot like Jesus' words when he talks about his generation. Matthew 13, for the heart of this people has become dull. They are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes so that they would not see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want to heal them. I want to help them. I want to support them. I want to change their lives. I want to protect them. I want to give them a new life. I want to do all this for them, but they won't listen to me. They've shut their eyes. They've closed their ears. And I think the story of Noah is giving us another warning. And it's this. God will give us opportunities, more than enough opportunities, to respond to the open doors that he's giving us. But the opportunities God gives us always have an expiration date. Eventually, the door that God opens for us will shut. And when it shuts, it doesn't open again. I know we don't like to hear that, but the reason why this story is given to us in Scripture is to remind us to walk through the door while it's open. Because God is giving us ample time, plenty of time, to walk through the door that He's open for us. And right now, the door is open for you. Maybe it's an open door to do more ministry and to serve Him like you never have before. Maybe it's an open door to be invested in his kingdom work like never before. Maybe it's an open door to get more serious about your faith, 
Maybe it's an open door to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Be baptized for the very first time. I don't know what your open door is, but whatever it is, right now I know one thing. Your door is wide open and God is calling you to walk through and experience the life that he wants to give you. But there's an expiration date and the door won't always be open. And I'm not a prophet. I don't know when your door is gonna shut. I don't know when you're gonna breathe your last. I don't know when I'm gonna breathe my last. I don't know when Jesus is gonna come back. But one day the door will be shut. My family, we like to buy food in bulk because food is expensive these days and my kids eat a lot. So we like to buy food in bulk, go to Sam's Club often, and we buy ballpark hot dogs and like the big old, you know, bags or whatever. And you have to eat them in a certain amount of time because there's an expiration date on them. And the other day I was looking at a bag that we had bought and it was about half eaten. And I told Allison and the kids, she was like, we're gonna be eating hot dogs because we got about a week left till the expiration date. And I don't want to waste, you know, half these hot dogs. And so just get ready to be eating hot dogs because I don't waste food. So I told them that, but they didn't do it. And so uh, we got past the expiration date. It's about a week past it. And I look back in the fridge and there's, there's those hot dogs sitting there. And so I looked at the date. I was like, you know, it's only a week old. I mean, a week past the expiration date. I'm sure it's still fine. I mean, no, that's a suggestion anyway, right? I mean, I'm sure it's fine. And so I pulled out one of the hot dogs in order to fix it for Alex. And when I pulled it out, I saw this white stuff growing on the side of it. I'm like, hey, you can cut that off. It's fine, right? No, I didn't do that really. No, that would have made my kids sick. No, uh, I didn't do that. I had to throw out all the hot dogs. Why? Because there was an expiration date and you got to take the expiration date seriously. God hasn't told us when our expiration date will come, but he has warned us that it's coming. And what we know for sure right now is the door is open. Don't miss it. He's inviting us to walk through it. Don't miss the invitation he's giving us. Because eventually the door shuts. Let's read on in Genesis. It says, that very day, Noah had gone into the boat, as God told him to, with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and a female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. Who shut the door of the ark? God did. Because there's an expiration date to every opportunity that God gives us. For 120 years, the door was open. And I've heard some preachers, when they preach and teach on this text, they'll make comments like, you know, Noah preached for 120 years and didn't have one, he did not have one single convert. And that's not exactly true. Did you catch what the passage just said? There were seven other souls that got on the boat with him. His wife, his three sons, and their wives. See, what does that let me know? The people who were closest to Noah believed him. The people who were closest to Noah, his own family, knew that his faith was real. Knew it wasn't a show. Knew he wasn't just putting on. They knew that it was real. 
that he truly did walk with God and they believed him and he taught them about God. And if anybody had the right to question Noah, it probably would have been his daughters-in-law, right? I mean, can't you imagine how that conversation would happen? Can you imagine the daughters-in-law turning to their husband saying, your dad is nuts, your dad is crazy. But they didn't do that. They believed him. Because here's the thing, Noah's life backed up his message. And his family, those who were closest to him, knew it. And sometimes I will have people come to me and they will say, Chad, we need to do something because our culture is getting more and more dark and there's more and more corruption and we need to do something. We need to fix this. We need to go and make a difference in this world. And so they come up with these grandiose ideas how we're going to change the world. And there's all these big plans they will present before me. And after they're done, a lot of times I will say, okay, what are you doing in your own household? Because here's the thing. The greatest mission field that God has given you is your own household, your own family. And sometimes we're asking God for greater ways to serve and we're asking God for greater, greater mission fields. And God is saying, you're missing the one that's right under your nose. Because I believe there is a revival coming in this nation. I do. I'm not a prophet. I don't know for sure. But I believe there is a revival coming in this country. And I'll tell you how it's going to happen It's not going to happen by legislating morality. It's not going to happen by forcing people to follow God or believe in God. That doesn't work. You know what's going to happen? When one family after another family after another family sincerely starts to walk with God, and as those families teach their children, the parents and the grandparents set the example for their children, a new generation will raise up of household after household after household that is walking with God. And those households will come together in neighborhoods and in communities and in cities and in states and across our country. We will see a revival take place like we haven't seen before. Yeah, but it starts with the mission field that is right under our nose. It starts in our own homes with our own families. When Noah got on the ark, he had his family with him. And then it says, the Lord closed the door. Eventually, God shut the door. And I bet there were people who at that moment were banging on the door, crying, weeping, begging to get in. Because here's the thing, everybody thought Noah was crazy until the first raindrop fell. And then Noah didn't look so stupid anymore, did he? They all wanted to get through the door, but the door was already shut. See, faith is trusting God in advance, but only makes sense in reverse. And it may not have made a lot of sense for Noah to build this ark, but the moment that the first raindrop fell, it all made sense. Guys, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his people, those who are walking with him. And when he comes back, he's gonna take us to a new home. In fact, the book of Revelation talks about what this new home will be like. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is the new heaven and the new earth. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Jesus is coming back to restore all things and he's gonna take his people to a new home, a new paradise where we will live with him forever. And here's the thing, right now, that door is open for us to experience this new life with him. That new life begins 
right now. And he is inviting you and he's inviting me to walk through that door and experience that life now. And I get it. Sometimes as we walk through the door, it's not always easy. Sometimes life, the life of faith is full of hammering nails and sawing wood. It can be mundane, it can be boring, it can be tough, it can be rough, but you keep hammering nails and you keep sawing wood like Noah because you know what's on the other side of the door. You know that once you get past the storm, there's a rainbow waiting for you. And so we don't ignore the open door, but we walk through it because we know what's waiting for us on the other side. And all it takes is a storm to separate the foolish from the wise. See, Jesus, when he talks about Noah, he actually references Noah when he talks about his second coming. Look what Jesus says. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Now what's so wrong with like eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage? Nothing. That's just living life, right? But that's the thing. They were living life without God. They were doing all that without God. They were just living life, living it up, enjoying life. But they were living life without God, thinking that nothing was ever going to happen to them. Everything was fine. They were good until the door shut. Guys, if you don't hear anything else that I say to you today, listen to this. Right now, the door is still open. And that's why we can celebrate that's why we can have this You're Invited series. That's why we can have a party here every single week. That's why we can rejoice because right now we know the door is still open. We know God has invited all of us, every single one of us to walk through the door and the opportunity for us to experience God's door of opportunity is still there. We can celebrate today because of that. But it won't be open forever. I don't know when the door is gonna shut for you or for me. But I know right now the door's open. And God is inviting you, yes, you, to walk through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today and this chance we've had to open up your word and study it. And God, I just pray that we would walk through the open doors that you give us, whether it's a chance to serve you in a greater capacity today. Maybe it's to get more serious about our faith. Maybe it's to accept your son as our Lord and Savior for the first time. Whatever it is, Father, let's not wait too late. We know that right now the door is open for all of us. And Father, we want to walk with you through it. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.